Great start. Yeah, Fintessi's got it! He has a head! He's trying to find him. It's broken for Fabregas. Now it's in the Ulster. This is it! Welcome to Football Fives, the podcast in which some white blokes get together every couple of years to tackle five questions about football. My name is Chris Nee and I have three friends here with me. First up, joining us in between rounds of golf and dazzling his colleagues with his game show host Blazer, it's a big hello to Ryan Keeney. Hello Christopher Nee, how are you? I'm very well. It's been a long time on the air, but we saw each other in the flesh. Yeah, that was nice. A uh, little, trip, little trip to Wembley. Um, it was delightful. It was, it was uh, just good to make sure that we are all existing as real human people still and it's not all via the internet speaking of the playoff final our next guest co-host panelist is the vital link between the people of Huddersfield and the heady world of dizzy penalties it's Stephen Chicken I I didn't enjoy the trip to Wembley but I did enjoy seeing your flesh I feel like we've got I feel like we've got the makings of an excellent game of guess who here because we've got like three glasses, <laughs> two bald heads, a mustache, three beards. It's uh it's it's the merchandising opportunity that Football Fives has been waiting years for in my opinion. Finally is the proud dad not only of a new pair of glasses but of a future world trampolining champion and England international footballer. Hello Bo if you're listening. Here is David Hartrick. Finally, some bloody sex on this podcast. How are we all, lads? <laughs> Top draw. Good to be back. It is. It is very, very good to be back. It feels like a comfortable old armchair, doesn't it? Is this comeback going to be better than the last comeback, do we reckon, Chris? No, almost certainly not, but we're going to try. So it'll be one episode and a quiz, and then we'll disappear for a year. Not bloody quiz. It'll be we'll we'll line up. (laughs) We'll get Keeney lined up to host. No quizzes, and he'll come up with five questions, and we'll do all the research, and then we'll show up, and it'll be another bloody quiz. No quizzes. Well, not yet. Christmas quiz. Yeah. Five a side team, though. We need to do a five a side team. We do. We do. We need story for those, though, don't we? Really. Who? Who? Yeah. Good point. Right, let's get into it. We're not doing a quiz. We're doing five questions about football and it's broadly based on the fact that we haven't been here for a long time. So they are generic and they are broad-based football questions for the four of us. And I'm going to start with question one, which is going initially to David Hartrick. So you're first up, Dave. Question one, if the future of elite football ticketing is a combination of non-fungible tokens and pitch side access in the metaverse... (laughs) To what extent are clubs ethically ab- obliged to include uniquely numbered physical items in the packages they sell? Well, I am uniquely positioned to answer this question as a legal expert. Um, yeah. No, this isn't the price of football. It's not Kieran. Oh, well, we better not say Kieran Maguire's name because Steve gets upset. Mm. Yeah, you're not a fan, are you? <laughs> he's fine I just don't like that he is treated as the one and only man in the universe who can read a balance sheet Uh, what Chris is in a roundabout way to saying are we back just so we can mint some F5 NFTs it's not for me to say at this stage but yes yes, do you know what what minting an NFT means Dave Mate, I've only just got my head around email. I mean, <laughs> when I was on, like, in bed with Maradona, at the amount of times that Jeff nearly sacked me because I couldn't, do, <laughs> I couldn't do the thing he had just spent an hour showing me. I, don't, I think NFTs are a little bit beyond me, really. Basically, NFTs to me, you may as well just get three hundred quid, chuck it out the window, and say you own a cartoon. That's essentially what it comes down to. When was the last time you funged something, Dave? <laughs> His pen, no, she's not in airshot. A couple of days ago now, to be honest. Oh, God, can you imagine if Bo is listening now? Please, you, Bo, don't listen. Have you, You've only had the glasses a couple of days, though, and she's only human, so. Yeah, I know. It's, it's Raw sex is the term, Ryan, raw sex. 
Question one. Hello, Dave. How are you? It's been a while. How was last season? Yeah, it was it was pretty good, really. I'm going to let Steve sort of major on Huddersfield Town, which, as a lot of people will know, is our sort of daily bread, so to speak. Um, but, yeah, as a, as a Brighton fan, I couldn't really complain about last season. We, highest points ever total, highest league position. Yeah, it seems churlish to... Seems churlish to complain, really. I have an issue with some Brighton fans on forums and things like that because there's still that demand to invest and buy this player and that player. This is provably our greatest ever team in our history. I mean, it's not it's not in a position many clubs are in that often, but this is genuinely our best ever team. So, yeah, I, you know, I enjoyed last season. And I think the, the 4-1 against Manchester United sort of goes down as... Like I wouldn't say it's the greatest day in the club's history or anything like that, but certainly in terms of genuinely memorable times in in modern history, that is up there with you know various playoff finals and a couple of Palace wins and various other things. That really was quite a quite a special performance. You know, Man United were a shambles, but Man United are still Man United, aren't they? <laughs> That's the thing. And little old Brighton coming up and and humping them dry was just absolutely incredible, to be honest with you. So all in, I would say, yeah, not bad at all. If you throw in Huddersfield Town's achievements, which Steve will go into, it was it was a busy old season, Chris. Given the number of times that you've mentioned sex and humping and other yeah. type things, are you... Has it actually only been a couple of days? Day, day, I've got to be honest. I'm, a, I'm on a mass. I'm on a massive dry spell. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I, I mean, I. You know I can be a rascal. I, I've, I've, yeah, it's a dry spell. Trust me, but it's not all my fault either. <laughs> your, your kid gets to a certain point and she just never goes to bed. Honestly, I, it's, I don't need Viagra. I need tranquilizers. <laughs> On that note, in the Huddersfield area, Steve, how was last season? Yeah, very enjoyable. I mean, it's been. I'd been doing Huddersfield Town for sort of, well, full time for three and a bit years. And in that time, they've had a relegation in my first ever game uh, working for the local paper and then two relegation fights where they almost went down to League One. And we were expecting more of the same coming into this season and ended up getting to the the bloody playoff final, which we won't talk about. Uh Especially since since Dan's not here and can't he can't <laughs> steer the ship and uh, and and try and make us talk about Forest. But um, no, I mean it's been a very enjoyable season. But, uh, something a bit different to to cover uh, an enjoyable season. And I think it's well known. I'm a Liverpool fan. Them getting to the Champions League final, taking the the league title to the final day as well. You know, I, I don't get to watch much of Liverpool these days, but. You know, this is, you know, Dave talks about it being Brighton's best ever team. And it's a hard, uh, hard task to call it Liverpool's best ever team. But they're they're not far off at the moment. So very much like Dave, very difficult to complain other than about the sex life. Question back to you both of you. Why are you complaining about my sex life? <laughs> I just want what's best for you, Dave. <laughs> Fair enough. This is why I've been putting off your repeated begging for me to come back to the podcast for the last year. Um, a question for both of you. Working at Wembley must have been a bit of an experience. How was that? Yeah, it was great. The, I, it was all I wanted coming into the season, to be honest, was was to, well, not coming into this season because I certainly wasn't expecting to go. But, you know, when it sort of looked like they were on for promotion, it was like, I just want to go to Wembley. I don't, don't care if they go up or not particularly. Obviously, it would have been better if they had, but it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm fine covering the championship. I know the championship, it's more games. It's probably more fun. I just want a day out at Wembley, and, and we got that. And, you know, the, the staff were, were fantastic. Everyone was really friendly. Um, the the facilities are obviously excellent. It, it was great to have that, that day out and obviously soak up all the atmosphere. Before the game, not so much afterwards. <laughs> it, it was it, it was great, really. And I did the um, mix zone after the match, my first mix zone, and a lot of what was said actually wasn't actually printable or repeatable. And a couple who did speak to us sort of were quite. Some went on the record, but a couple of didn't because of the nature of the defeat. But 
the best thing was that in in the press room there's a massive fridge just full of pop and you can take as many bottles as you want so you better believe i walked out of there with a bag full of fanta glad to hear yeah it. You, de- you decanted it into your bag which was the weird <laughs> bit sex tape <laughs> ryan keening um i think there's a there's probably a podcast answer of saying that i really uh kind of enjoyed football and it was fine and it was really good but i think when the season began when 21 22 began i was in a bad place personally um from a just having resigned from a job for both professional and personal reasons that i wasn't finding a whole lot of joy in life in general um and actually this year and this season has been quite nice in that by the end of it i wasn't ready for the football season to end because i've I think at some point in the last 12 months have found my love for football again that I'd lost. So I've fallen out with Manchester United and the Glazers and that ownership and that element. And football has and Man United have gone hand in hand for me through my life that actually when that happened, I drifted away from the game in, almost entirely um, and became more of a golf blogger and a golf expert and, and that side of things. And steadily kind of without really forcing it, and my wife has, has tried to force it in, uh, past seasons and semi the games and even suggest going down on road which um, would be sacrilege even as a, a former Man United fan um, but bit by bit and kind of month by month this season I've just kind of found myself drifting back in whether that's watching Real Madrid dispatch of teams that they really shouldn't be dispatching in the Champions League just through pure vibes I think and Karim Benzema and it was just really really good and, it, and even like at the beginning of the season I took Ewan who at the time was 20 months old to his first football match and he didn't care that we were at a football match he shouted ball and he joined in with some of the clapping and he did things that a toddler does and then had a set- little massive tear up with the away end did he? <laughs> well so he did a he he did a poo um but there was no changing area in the men's toilet so i had to wait until after half time and use the women's toilet so that allowed me to tweet about you know being hashtag great dad um, was that and... by accident or in process? <laughs> well, his poo, his poo yeah. was just him being a child and and doing that. But then and then we spent the second half behind the the one stand at Farsley because he wanted to drive his car up and down a piece of wood. So, yeah, as every, as he already knows that a good day out at the football is not about the football and don't ever let the football get in the way. So yeah, so come kind of April May, I'm really and that season ending and going to Wembley and watch the playoff final. Um, I'm really kind of chomping at the bit for 22, 23 to begin for some of the reasons that we'll talk about in this, but just for the joy of watching football again, getting to live football, watching more of it on TV and just feeling like I'm back there. Like I'm, I don't know if I've ever stopped paying attention or being influenced by all of my social media accounts and the various accounts that I follow and the news and, and talking to you guys. But yeah, I think that that drive within myself hasn't been there until kind of the last three months and it's it's quite nice that's very lovely but i think it is a bit boastful for you to talk about your wife making you go down a road that's sacrilege given the revelations dave and i have come out with so far (laughs) welcome to the football fives whatsapp group My team is Coventry Sphinx and we got moved into the All Sport United Counties League Premier Division South last season and it was bloody brilliant. We had a great season, got to the last 16 of the FA Vars and finished fourth in the league and it was just fun the whole way through. There were some great runs in there, Um, good wins, big wins, really big wins um, and some excellent games and it was just a joy to be to be out with my friends watching the football in a season that was interrupted only by one away game being cancelled because of the rain and that was it everything else went absolutely swimmingly so yeah I have no complaints really positive the only thing I ask of Aston Villa these days is they don't make my life more miserable than it should be um, and they were kind of level par on that count through the season I have big questions about the management at the moment we'll see where that goes um could be great might not be but in big general, fan of Steven Gerrard aren't you pardon big fan of Steven Gerrard aren't you I uh, no 
But I only say that because last time I said that in public, he went on a run of four games unbeaten or something. So I'm I'm totally willing to bet against myself on that. You're um, in I'm for undecided. A big pre-season is the then. truth of it. Yeah. If if they had signed Luis Suarez, I was genuinely lobbying for a webcam in your bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it, Steve. You're better than that. <laughs> I I think the thing is I've had such a good time with with non-league um certainly last season but but you know generally in life now is is my my bread and butter. I went to 45 non-league games last year. Um and as apart from the the playoff final it was the only football I went to physically. Uh I just I I don't have the energy to really care 100% about any Premier League team now, even the one that I support. It, they're just there if they can just stay without getting relegated again, that would be lovely. Um, I, I don't really have the the bandwidth to care about them beyond that. I'd like them to do well, obviously. I like watching them when I can, but I have put my commitment elsewhere. And it's been worth it because it was bloody brilliant last year. I think that's fair enough, mate. I think you're probably just reflecting what a lot of people are feeling at the minute in truth. Yeah. It's just a different experience. I'd, I'd never suggest that one is better than the other because I think that they're just so... Diff- difficult to compare that it, it's ultimately is a pointless exercise to do so uh, but I've found my place and my, my football family at that level and I wouldn't change it for the world I can't wait to go back good good haven't done that for a while um, question two I'm skip sitting this one out right so just so we know I'm not in this one ordinarily at this time of year today as we record we would be in between the World Cup semi-finals and the final. I'm not going to watch the World Cup. That is the last we'll hear about that. But is your World Cup fever building? Steve? I've not really thought about it, to be honest. You know, I think that the season ending so late for us, we we finished the season on the 29th of, of May and then had a few days of sort of review, and then it was into the transfer window. So I've just been sort of turned on to transfer window and and looking forward to my holiday, which starts next week. So I think partly probably because we had that tournament last summer, for me, I've not really felt like, oh, this should be a tournament year. It feels like next year should be a tournament year because we had a tournament year last year. So it... I wouldn't say it's building necessarily, but I have taken the first two weeks off work of the World Cup. You know, we have a a mid-season break in the Championship, as they do in the Premier League. And the first two weeks of that is obviously the group stage. And I've taken that whole two weeks off before any other uh, colleagues of mine can can get (laughs) in and take it themselves. So... um, in that respect, yeah. I mean, I'm looking for... Once it rolls around, I'll be watching pretty much every game I can. And obviously, there's a, a bit of interest for me because Huddersfield have a couple of players who are looking like they're probably going to be there. Sorber Thomas will be, I think, the one everyone will be looking out for. But they may well have a couple of others as well. So, yeah, it's uh, always good to have a World Cup. I'm trying not to name the country that it's hosted at, either on this podcast or in the uh, in my copy in the paper, I'm just saying the Winter World Cup. That's my protest. That'll show them. Uh, take that, FIFA. But you know, I think I understand completely, Chris. And you said it's the last we'll talk about it. I, I can imagine why you you won't be watching it, and I completely respect anyone that isn't. I wish I sort of had the moral fortitude to to take a similar stance, but the reality is I am a weak, weak man and will be watching as much of it as I can get. Ryan? Yeah, I, my my World Cup fever is building and I'm not, I'm unapologetic about that, I think, that I, and particularly this, like watching the Champions League this year and as you kind of mentioned with Premier League teams, I feel very removed from that as a person like it feels like this other reality of um, lifestyle and over the top lavishness and outrageous money swishing around that's not real and not actual and that side of things and so that part of me makes me feel okay about the world cup i'm i'm concerned 
that the best players aren't going to be there. There's going to be a handful of players that are that will do a hamstring um, kind of five, six weeks beforehand. They've got to cram so much football into uh, August, September, October and 12 days of November, plus an international break, um, like 15 or 16 Premier League games, uh, all of the group games in all of the European competitions, that it's it's baffling I think as a scheduled thing but also I'm going to allow myself to enjoy it because it's going to be cold and miserable outside but there's going to be World Cup on and it's it's going to be the more or less the best players in the world a few of them having their last crack at winning a World Cup um, a few of them starring on the the big stage for the first time and some of them, it's going to come at a really nice time mid-season that they're not going to be knackered from playing 50 or 60 games. Their clubs, I would imagine, will rotate them, will rotate players fairly smartly because they've got to kind of get them through to the World Cup and they won't be forgiven if they run their players into the ground trying to win or trying to make a decent start in the Premier League. Um, I think it's going to lead to a lot of European leagues kind of being carnage toward the end of the season as well, that... Teams won't be able to get off to a flyer, and they won't be able to just like have that small squad that they stick together and go on an unbelievable run. They're going to have to rotate players um, and get them through. So yeah, I'm I'm starting to be excited by just it being different as well as a World Cup. I fully, I, I fully anticipate it could be the like last World Cup before things really melt down with the European Super League and all of that kind of jazz. But um, yeah, for now, I'm, I'm allowing myself purely as a football fan to enjoy things building and ramping up. Gluten-free mm. beers already in, Dave? Uh, the problem with this World Cup is it's it's a bit like, for me, I, I mean, those among you who will be familiar with, like, Viz and Viz's Profanosaurus will know the phenomenon of travel cock. And the thing about travel <laughs> cock is it's where you're travelling and you look down and you've got an erection and you think, well, where's that come from? there's no explanation for it it's just purely travel cock and the problem is i really want to be sort of uh, like (laughs) you're right there kitty i really want to be morally like you chris and i really want to say i'm not you know i don't want to be part of this i don't like this but then i see the fixture list and i start thinking about things i think about kits and where's that erection come from and that's the problem i can't I can't switch it off, and I've realised that, and I've had to accept that. One of the, the, what I am quite enjoying is I'm not like Steve. I, I know you made light of it, but you know, having a little protest, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, even if it does feel small or whatever. Yeah, mm. I think that's that's right. And what I am enjoying is looking at some of the fan groups who are going so for example even little things like the way the you know the Wales. i don't know if you're aware but the phenomenon of the bucket hats that they all wear they're now selling rainbow bucket hats and they're they're basically selling out as quick as they can make them so there's going to be thousands of wales fans over there at games in rainbow bucket hats and i think that's great i think that's absolutely superb there's talk. Not least because you're a big bucket hat fan yourself. Yeah, I do. I do love it. Yeah, back in the rascal days, I did love a bucket hat. Yeah, but there, there's also talk of lots of other fan groups doing things. I know some of the um, Scandinavian countries are talking about doing things even together, possibly. Um, and I think that is going to be very, very interesting. But I, I, I really want to take the moral high ground and say I can switch off and say that there's so much about this. World Cup that is reprehensible and it shouldn't exist it shouldn't exist in this form but at the same time I just can't switch that travel cock off you know that is the reality of it and I I think this is probably a World Cup where I don't go and buy the official guidebook I don't go and get some of the merch I don't you know like go full bore at it but I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm not going to watch it because I will end up watching it the sticker album will be a big one for me because I always do it and I'm a collector whether I do that or not again I don't know I'd love to say my little moral uh stand is going to be I'm not going to do that or support the sponsors what have you I just don't know I just don't know I will have some minor 
form of protest that will make me feel better. Maybe I won't tweet about it at all or something like that, but I'm not going to pretend I'm not going to watch it because I will end up watching most of it. There may well be like a, uh, there's been a recent trend for sort of charity sticker books uh, that are like mm. alternative sticker books where all the stickers are drawn. We did it for, it might have been the last World Cup actually, and it was a lot more fun than getting the uh, the official one because they're all sort of a different artist mm. from each country for each country, uh, and and it was interesting getting those those in. Yeah, so it might be a way to and do it. The, yeah, there'll be things like that, and that's what I mean about these these protests may seem minor in context of just you but I also think they're quite important. And if that helps you reset the scale so you don't feel quite as guilty about that, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, the world is grim enough at the moment. So, you know, chasing whimsy is is no bad thing every now and then. That is true. Right, question three. Which player will you be keeping an eye on this season? Uh, Ryan? Raheem Sterling. Um mm. Yeah. Good answer. Uh, thank you. Just, I, I, I read something today. Um, I read something earlier where he talked about this being the most important contract of his year. He's got one year left on Man City, and as we on his Man City deal, and as we're talking, it seems pretty certain he's going to end up at Chelsea. That he's going to sign in the next few days. Um, he's going to move across there. I think we Chelsea are that have been that weird. Uh, in stuck in that weird middle ground where real life has kind of caught up with the fantasy of Premier League football and and that lavish lifestyle and everything, and it's been that really awkward moment where lots and lots of people are upset that they're being punished for something that they've had no real control over. That it's not their fault that they welcomed in a oligarch with open arms and let him do what he wanted with their playthings so that he could legitimise their money. And and there's a part of me has sympathy for that, and there's a, because I see football clubs as this community institution, and then there's part of me kind of thinks that tough. That's where modern football is going. Now that they seem to be the other side of that, and they've welcomed in somebody else with masses of money who's legitimising it, and I'm going to move past that and just say that I think Raheem Sterling's making a really interesting career choice. I think he could he presumably had his choice of every football club in Europe barring one or two who really you know for whatever reason don't need him or wouldn't have, have quite had a place for him so to have bought into Tuchel and whatever that Thomas Tuchel has said at a point in his career where he is kind of almost slipping into an underrated role or an underrated place in like England pantheon like he's not heralded even in this current team and he's not heralded as amongst the all-time greats, given his record and his incredible record. But if he slots into a Chelsea system that is suited to him, maybe not quite built around it, but certainly suited to him, he could do really, really nice things this season, but also could roll into that World Cup in phenomenal form. And given that for the Euros, he wasn't playing particularly well, but still showed up with really key goals for England early on and kind of, you know, dragged England, not not necessarily dragged England through, but added the finishing touches in, in tight games. Um, yeah, he could be on for a, a really blossoming season, um, which sounds ridiculous for a player that has already achieved so much and already managed so much. Um, yeah, it's fun. I find it bizarre that City are so willing to let him go. You know, he's, he's played more minutes for Pep Guardiola than, than any other player since he since he went to City, I think possibly ever, I think if you include all of Guardiola's clubs, I think he still might be number one, weirdly. So he's, uh, I I don't know. Some City fans though, Steve, just to leap in, a lot of City fans taking the sort of temperature don't think he's played well for City for about 18 months. I don't see him often enough to comment on that. But yet I like when I see him on match of the day, Sterling always seems to pop up with a goal. Well, he he came on in the final game of the season and kind of and was a catalyst for that turnaround. He did I, I remember thinking it was strange because again, like you, Dave, I don't watch and huge amounts of City to know um how well he's played, but he wasn't in the starting lineup for either the Real Madrid semi final clashes. And I guess things like that will be telling for a player like Sterling where he wants to be he wants to be challenging for trophies. He wants to win stuff, but I, he's not going to be the type to 
be happy on the bench and be a squad player. He'll want to be influencing those games from the beginning and and given that chance, which I guess is why he's looking to move. And and yeah, then the other side of that to your initial point, Stephen, is I think City seem to be tr- well. They're certainly leaking that they're being respectful of of Sterling and not standing in his way. They would like to keep him, but he's kind of decided that it's time to to move on and be a number one and not not. Um, play Pep Roulette in terms of selection. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I mean, it's not like City are short on other options. To be fair, and you know, City, uh, Chelsea, I think need that need that revamp, don't they? That the the other concern I sort of have just to nick something that Dan said. Uh, who um, did it for you that time, Dave? Was I think it was Dan that said it. Um, he's probably played best when he's sort of played as that centre forward that that central role rather than on the wing. And as we know, Chelsea uh, absolutely destroy centre-forwards who aren't called Didier Drogba. So it'll be interesting to see how that one goes. I'm going next. I'm also going for someone who's on the move and in fact has already moved. Uh, And my person who I'll be watching this season very closely is Richarlison, um, who's obviously moved now from Everton. Big fee to Spurs. Big fee to Spurs. Um, they've made some really good moves already um, and I've I've picked him not just because I'm, I'm genuinely excited to see what he can do there but because I've seen quite a few people question that fee based on his role in a team that already has Kane and Son and Kulisevsky ahead of him and then Lucas Moore arguably behind him um, but it seems clear to me that in a season that is going to be a squad game they're building a squad to compete on several fronts. And I think he's a terrific signing in that, that context. Um, I like watching him anyway. He works his nuts off. I think he's got really good feet. He's got a trick or two. He can score a goal. Really good in the air. He's strong. He just adds so much to a team. And at 25, he's really got a point to prove. And I, I think from a, a personal point of view, he's probably got himself out of a what, what is potentially going to become a fairly sort of dismal situation at Everton. And I think we could really see him thrive. And I I, I hope we do, because I, I'm I'm sort of fond of the extent to which he's got a bit of the devil a bit of the devil in him. Um and I I just hope that won't be blunted by a, a lack of adversity, although of course it is Spurs, isn't it? I think Spurs could do with a bit of a knobhead, couldn't they? And and he, and he's certainly that in the nicest possible sense, you know. Yeah. In the you know, I, I love Sadio Mane at Liverpool because he was a bit of a knobhead, you know, and he and he wasn't afraid to be. And and I, I do think you know it drives other fans mad. And I, you know, I can imagine my dad rolling his eyes at him. Um, but you know, I think you do need someone like that in your team. And and I think Spurs in particular could do something the, like yeah, that. Yeah, they had Lamella. Lamella was a lot was quite mm-hmm. often there, like. Bulldog almost and and mm. aggressive to the for the for the benefit of some of the others, um, and he's gone. So yeah, Richardson fills that role. I really love it's the ex- fact that he's got himself suspended before he's even started. That feels like it completes <laughs> the picture for me. I'm staggered that he's only 25. By the way, yeah, he's very young when he came over. Yeah, yeah, and he he was he came out of the blocks very quickly at Everton, didn't he? And and had that that little sort of six-week spell at the start of his first season where he was really impressive and then just sort of faded. But he's come on to be a bit of a workhorse and have a lot of quality as well. Um, and he's going to be a massive loss to Everton. And I think a big addition for Spurs yeah. as well. Uh, Steve? Yeah, I'm going to bore everyone to tears by talking about a Huddersfield Town player. But don't worry, because <laughs> I think chances are he, he is going to be a Premier League player this summer. I would, I would love for him not to be, but Lewis O'Brien has been ready to step up to the Premier League for a long time now. We were sort of blown away that, that he didn't get that move last summer, despite there being confirmed interest in him and confirmed bids in him from Leeds. And then it was sort of another minor miracle that they held on to him in, in January as well. I, I'm just, he's, he's a player that, you know, as I say, I've been with the examiner three years now and he came into the side in pre-season 2019. It's sort of a 
a bit of an unknown academy graduate and spent the previous season on loan at Bradford where he did really well. But, you know, Bradford might as well be um, the other side of the universe <laughs> uh, as far as I'm concerned when they were bottom of League One or, or relegate from League One. So he wasn't really on the radar and came into a side alongside Aaron Moy and his first pre-season friendly. It was like, oh, who's who's this lad? He looks good. He's, for those who are unfamiliar, he's, you know, he's, I refer to him as sort of being a, a championship version of Kante. He's he's like two players off the ball. He's an absolute dynamo. He, he never gets tired. He runs and runs and runs his socks off. Brilliant at dribbling. Brilliant at tackling. Good character. He's you know he's worn the captain's armband plenty of times this season. He's only twenty three, and I think he's got a big future ahead of him. And and when I say that, I don't mean he's going to get 50 caps for England or anything like that. I think it would be sort of the pinnacle of his career if he were to get any England caps. But he's going to be a favourite player of a Premier League club next season, wherever he ends up, I think. He he might take a bit of time to for fans to adapt to him because he doesn't get many goals or assists. And I think... <laughs> there's a there's a possibility that they might get frustrated with that to begin with, but once they realise what he actually is, I, I think he could become a, a real uh, important player for wherever he ends up. And it'll be really interesting to see where that is as well, because there's several clubs said to be interested. The only thing I would say, I, I do agree with all of that, Steve, but it cannot be stressed there, there are stormtroopers who are a better shot than Lewis O'Brien. His, his, <laughs> oh yeah, yes. that Star Wars reference was just for you, one for one. Um, <laughs> he, he can't shoot for toffee. If he could, he'd already be in the Premier League, and that yeah, is it. a very noticeable aspect of his game. Matt Glennon, who is an ex-Huddersfield Town goalkeeper that we know he pointed out that a couple of times he's had a shot and the goalkeeper has actually chested it down rather than bothering to save it, <laughs> which is, is never really a great thing. So he's got to, he's got to work on that. But yeah, I do endorse all of what Steve just said. And that's why I say I think it will, wherever he ends up, I think their fans, I think you expect midfielders to be able to do more in the final third, maybe in the Premier League. And I think it might take people time to realise that he's not, going to in all likelihood but no uh big future good lad and um but hopefully he'll be able to chill down <laughs> and this segment is pointless Dave. right then my player um i'm i'm going for denise Dav, who is brighton and hove albion's new striker there are high hopes for this lad i know you have to put a bit of tax on the league he's come from but a lot of the right sort of people are saying the right sort of things about him um was banging them in for fun last season in Belgium I think he was player of the year over there he looks really really good you watch the videos and as I said you do have to put a bit of tax on it because of the league he was playing in but he certainly looks like a, a player who might just be capable of of having that sort of breakout Premier League season get him in your FPL side early Pookie for Norwich in his first season first two months type run I'm sure it will dry up and it will get tough for him at some point as defenders work him out a bit and he's got to sort of live with that and go again but it's a cliche to say it and like the the XG thing with Brighton is actually massively overblown when you dig down into it but there is no denying that we have needed a proper finisher for a long time. Just somebody who is selfish and out and out number nine. Hmm. Like and Christian Benteke or Jordan Ayew. Yeah, <laughs> Undav is not quite a sort of old-fashioned type striker, but he, he certainly looks better than what we've had. And Neil Bope drives me absolutely up the wall on a few levels. So, yeah, Chris is – it's a podcast, Chris. They can't see that sign. I know it's been a while, mate, but it's not a visual medium. Um, so, yeah, I think he's going to come in. I think he's going to play a lot. You know, I don't I don't think he's going to be sort of bought gradually into the side. I think you're probably going to see him – if he doesn't start the first game, I think he'll start the second and he'll play the majority of the first ten. So, yeah, I, I quite – I know it's, it's, it's sort of a little bit easy to say a Brighton player, but – it, it, he is the player I am looking at because there is a 
chance he's the final part of the puzzle who knows and like don't get me wrong i'm not saying all oh, that means we're going to be pushing for the premier league or for anything like that but what i mean is he might be the player that sees us sort of comfortably you know comfortably in mid-table beating lots of sides around us and just sort of nudging into the bottom of those European spaces. Because if I get to go abroad and see Brighton play in Europe, that will be football completed for me. Do you think he'll be on a goal bonus, Dave? <sighs> you see, that Morpé <laughs> joke, I, I'm not being funny. That joke is so old. It wasn't funny when we last recorded a podcast. I think I counted up the number of times each of us has done it in the chat, and I think you've done it more than anyone, Dave, when I counted it. And I think it was Ryan was leading, I, actually, but I then you were second, I... Dave. The, the secret to good not. comedy is repetition. Yeah. The other thing secret about... secret to good comedy is repetition, Dave. The other thing about Undav, he's always a handsome boy. He's a very, very handsome boy. Don't let him wink at your mum. So that's always nice <laughs> to add to your team. Who's the most handsome footballer, and why is it Christopher Schindler? It's it's actually Pascal Gross. Uh, Graziano Pella, anyone? Yeah. <laughs> I, I always fear that a lot of football fans think Ryland Clark Neal is handsome because, like, Graziano Pella and Olivier Giroud kind of have similar, similar oh, Giroud, vibes. Yeah, 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 yeah. David Beckham. Yeah. Melberg. Giroud makes me feel funny feelings, to be fair. Yeah, I'm the same with D Beck. Is this question moves, four or Beck, Beckham? Do I'm just thinking Melbourne. about my pelvic floor. Question pelvic floor. Which team most interests you as we embark on twenty two twenty three? I'm going first um, because I know Dave. You got Brighton. <laughs> so I'm going to break the natural conversation up there. Um, I've, I'm really interested to see what Leicester City do, uh, and there are a number of reasons for that. Um, firstly. I, I like watching them. They've got a bunch of really exciting players to watch. So I'm always happy enough to, to watch them anyway. But I think Brendan Rodgers is really vulnerable if they have a poor start this season. Because what we're, we're talking about a club who've elevated themselves in the last six or seven years and very arguably eighth is not up to scratch for them anymore. He's been there three years now, so he's not safe by any means if they start badly, especially not with stuff like the set-piece thing. So they're, they're the equal worst in the league for goals conceded from set pieces. And that's tangible. That's that's a thing that they do badly. That is improvable and coachable and, and, and could be fixed. That he was also terrible at coaching and never fixed at Liverpool. Yeah. So that comes with questions. Now, Leicester City in eighth might not come with a load of questions. It's a difficult league. The team's above when you look at them. There's no... You know, real justification where you could say absolutely 100% Leicester should be finishing above every one of those teams or one of those teams. Um, and it's just one of the one of those things. Being really poor at depending set pieces is a fixable thing. And that comes with questions. And he's patchy and that's a problem too. Um, do, do any of you know Leicester City's longest Premier League winning run last season? No. Uh, two. I would imagine... I would imagine, yeah, it's it's very low. It's like two, two. games, mm. two games. They 38. did it a few times. <laughs> they did it a few times, but still, that's another thing that you you look at as the ownership and think, okay, you've done a lot of good things. Cup win was great, but we've had a poor start, they, and we're going to need to finish a lot higher than eighth this season. You so, have you have you have to throw in that European run, though. Yeah, that, well, this that is what did I'm coming on ultimately to. Ultimately, affect them. This is what I'm coming on to. There are good news pieces as well. So although they haven't really strengthened their squad yet, they also haven't weakened it. Um, and I, it's not that I'm rubbernecking some collapse waiting to happen. I, I, I think they have the kernel of a good side. Um, the the players speak for themselves. Casper Schmeichel's still, you know, although he's, he's he's prone to a rick every now and then, is is one of the best keepers in the Premier League. Saw Inchu and Vestergaard, and no joke. Johnny Evans still there too. Probably not going to start all their games, but no joke. Um, I think when uh, James Justin and, and Fafana are, you know, they're going to end up being fit and firing and, and excellent for them, I think. Then still got Tillemans, uh, still got Ndidi, Harvey Barnes, great since he came back from injury. James Madison, with his bit between the teeth, is always fun to watch. 
Um, and then they've got, of course, Jamie Vardy, uh, Patson oh, Dacker. I love that boy. Ian Acho. And they're all still there. And they're just the obvious ones as well. You know, that's just their sort of starting team. Um, so I think the strength is there for Leicester, but in a few areas, the depth is not, which is why European football not being a factor is only going to work in their benefit. So as I say, I'm not, I'm not expecting it to, to go badly wrong for them. I actually probably think it'll go the other way. I, I think they're a great watch. Eighth nowadays is, is beneath their expectations. It's a big season ahead, and I think it's got both jeopardy but also real potential. Uh, and Dave? Uh, I'm going to go with... I was going to go with Brighton Hove Albion, but I've basically said everything I wanted to say talking in the last answer. It's a sideways, lateral way to think about this, but the other team I was going to talk about was England because they're in a funny place at the moment. They're in a very funny place. They Obviously, the, the last Nations League international break went badly. There's There's... I think there's a lot of caveats for it to do with tiredness and I think people only think about tiredness in terms of dead legs and not tiredness of the mind. I thought a lot of those players look looked mentally done in um, after what has been a pretty crazy sort of two and a half seasons in terms of rhythm and keeping themselves going and various other things. I Thinking about the World Cup, England are going to be amongst the favourites and absolutely justifiably so when you look at our first 11 and when you look at our squad. But I'm sort of wavering between are these players going to be absolutely out on their feet in November already because of the amount of football? I mean, I was looking at some of the players and they're basically going to have had a fortnight off before they're back into pre-season. And then they've got this crazy schedule of... You know, like the top teams in Europe, I think they've got two midweeks off before the World Cup, which is is mad. And like, I'm not being funny, but Antonio Conte just doesn't care about the World Cup. So he's going to play Harry Kane in every single game because why wouldn't you play your absolute best team? So I think there is a world where we could actually we could blow this World Cup. We could really blow our lines. And what I mean by that is I don't, you know, I think we'll get out of the group. I think we we we're absolutely fine to get out of the group. But there is a world where we come up against decent level opposition in the knockout rounds at the first time of asking and go out, and that will be failure ultimately. So. It's a really interesting, pivotal time for this England team, for Gareth Southgate, for the future, because we really we can't afford to waste the generation we have and the generation we've got coming, because we've got some incredible players coming through. This isn't a like we we had a golden generation that I don't think was particularly golden on reflection. It just we just had like six or seven really high class individuals. This time Can a generation got, be like, said to be golden when Barry Mills is in the squad? Well exactly. <laughs> you know, when you when you when you're playing Nicky Butt in midfield against Brazil in a World Cup quarter final. It's so yeah, I, I'm I think England are an interesting team to watch in terms of it wouldn't surprise me if they got all the way to the World Cup final and it wouldn't surprise me if they went out in the first knockout round. I, I'm genuinely struggling to call it. I think, do we all agree that the abuse at Southgate and the stuff at Southgate was absolute nonsense Yeah, yeah. In, in the Nations League? Complete. No, boo! <laughs> boo! <laughs> I'm no, still angry was, about was... him not selecting Jack Grealish and selecting Jack Grealish. I'm still angry at him for Euro '96. <laughs> it's just it's it was literally less than a year since they got the you know a penalty shootout yeah. away from winning a fucking tournament. Jesus I think, Christ, lads! I think football crowds are in a funny <laughs> place though. I think after COVID they in the really last few are. years and the state of how divided our country is and how tribalistic everything has become, I think like things like England crowds are a bit a bit Ken Dodd at the minute. Everyone's just, in general, a bit weird at the moment, aren't they? Like, you just need to go out yeah. into the world. I spent three minutes earlier talking about travel cock on a football podcast. <laughs> everybody's a little bit, everybody's a little bit off their game. I, I think you're at the top of your game, mate. You're only human. 
You'd never been better. Who would like to go next? Go on, since I'm talking. Yeah, I'm going to go. No, Liverpool. Liverpool. Um, I think they are in an interesting place at the moment because <laughs> a couple of months ago, you're saying, oh, the quadruple is on. But ultimately, they've come away from the season with two domestic trophies, not to be sniffed at at all. And then two runners, two lots of runners-up medals. And someone had asked me before the Champions League final, like, if if Liverpool don't win this, is this season a failure for them? And I had to give it a good long think and not in the way that Chris does about Kylie Minogue. Um, a certain it, era of Kylie Minogue. 1992. Because <laughs> I, I think that... That, you know, in the wider context, of course, that's not a failure. But I think it's sort of, it is where Liverpool are now, that if they are coming away without winning either the Champions League or the Premier League, it, it probably isn't a successful season. And mostly because they've had a fair few runners-up medals recently. And as good as this team is, or has been, um they they don't have a huge amount of of gold to show for it you know that they've won everything but they've not won everything lots of times so i i think it's and and i think they're in a bit of a transition now i mentioned mané earlier and i think he's a you know he was a really important player i would rather have lost salah than than lost mané to be perfectly honest but it was mané that wanted to go so he's gone and the midfield is Aging, uh, as we all are, uh, apart from my cousin Adam, who's actually getting younger. Um, but um, the, the, you know they've got the, the midfielders are, you know, generally good. They're proving that it's an excellent midfield, Thiago and Henderson. And but you know they're not getting any younger, and the players that are behind them are not really there yet. Your likes of you, you know, your Curtis Jones, your Elliot, they're coming up, but they're not quite there yet. So. I feel like there is a bit of a a transition to happen at Liverpool over the next couple of years. Obviously, Luis Diaz has started really well. We don't know how well Dar- Darwin Nunez is going to do. But it does feel like there's a bit of a, a tr- couple of transitional seasons coming up for Liverpool. Klopp might be coming towards the end. Who knows? I know he's signed a new deal, but you, know, you, you wonder how long he's going to be there. And again, because of how, how good City are, they kind of need to do all this without missing a step. And the, these are the kinds of transitions that clubs like, well, like Liverpool 30 years ago and like Manchester United 10 years ago and like Arsenal uh, sort of five, six years ago, the, these are the kinds of transitions that can be very tricky. So I, I think it's a, an interesting season for them coming up. Agreed. I think it is. Last but not least. I want to talk about the hipster's favourites, Borussia Dortmund, if I may. <laughs> um, on my shortlist for this answer, yeah, actually. But the Bundesliga is not in a great place. Bayern Munich have just won 10 league titles in it's a row. It's Germany, mate. It's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like I like Germany. Some of my favourite stag have been in Germany. Um, hey, I, lads, lads, lads. It's just been... It's been 10 years of Bayern winning the title. And... There was part of me almost wanted to pick Bayern Munich as a team that I'm really interested in. But I'm seeing, I, I think it's it's Dortmund and how they react to the last few seasons and the kind of the variety of managers that they've gone through to then go back to an interim coach who won the the German Cup for them, um, and the, the kind of ways that they've they've brought through this this Bayern squad re is really exciting, but on the one hand, it's also vulnerable or it it feels kind of vulnerable there's no well all of the big names and all of that that squad of the past is gone except for Robert Lewandowski and, and Manuel Neuer who is not the goalkeeper he used to be oh and sorry and Thomas Muller so you've got those three but then the rest is this young group of players that are not quite established themselves as uh in in that realm um, with Mane joining, you know, Marcel Sabitzer's in his second season. They've signed two really interesting players from Ajax in um, Gramberch and Maz- Mazra- Mazrao. I have no idea how to pronounce the Moroccan's name, but we'll go with that. Um, and then across, so across that, when you've got the Dortmund squads who've signed Sebastian Haller, 
um, to replace her at Haaland, but also brought in Adiemi from Salzburg. And this, she, I don't know. I, I, I maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid and getting kind of caught up in that that buzz. But there's just something in that group of players with Bellingham, Reina, and and others that I really like. And I will be, yeah, I will be spending, I will, I will be spending time watching the Bundesliga anyway for. Um, the hundred and that being back and the players that we've got to cover in that and it's a league I would watch anyway, but yeah, there's it feels like they've got a chance. It feels like with that fixture congestion that we're going to see, some teams are going to struggle like, and and some teams are going to miss key players um, at bad times and they're going to get overrun and it's how I guess the others handle that. Um, and it feels like Dortmund are exciting enough and interesting enough and. Um, yeah, almost charismatic enough to be able to pull that off and um, and stop uh, Bayern making it eleven in a row, which would be bad, I think, for bad for the league and bad for kind of the, the elite level of of European footballers. Everything would continue to gravitate towards the Premier League and those other three massive superpowers, and stopping Leipzig as well, which would be lovely. They now have their first trophy under their belts. Um, so there's there's also that threat, which makes the Bundesliga an interesting league next season. I think it's you know it's certainly not a two-horse race. Um, yeah. It's either one or it might be potentially three. Yeah, I think the, uh, the pleasing thing is that when you know the other main European leagues all saw teams winning with points totals in the mid-high 80s, where, and Bayern lost five times and, and only finish with 76, 70, 70-something points, and they were seven or eight ahead of Dortmund in the end. So it's not like they are just casting the whole league aside, that they they have had their, no, their nose bloodied a couple of times. And, yeah, as you say, Leipzig threw something in there. Leipzig weren't even third, though, were they last season? You've got Leverkusen as well, who are fairly decent and have got some exciting young players that, that are in the 100 list as well. So... Um, yeah, there's. I'm trying. I think I'm trying to be positive about a league that's not the superpower it used to be. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it. Adam is worth watching as well. I've got him in the hundred. He's he's going to be the business, uh, right? Our last question, question five. I would like from each of you one prediction, surprising prediction for the season ahead, uh, and I'm coming to Dave first. Uh, I've got two because I couldn't decide between them. Um, the first is that I think Liverpool could finish third next season, and I think a lot of people will see it as failure. Um, yeah. My second one is I think the uh, championship is going to be even more bonkers than usual next season because there are a lot of teams who are readjusting after COVID. They are doing more sensible business I'd say there are a couple of teams who feel like they're close so their owners have put some money in and they're already investing so I feel the standard of the championship over the last few years has not been great and I I, I, Steve will tell you on our podcast I've been an advocate for actually this league is bad next season I don't think the standard will necessarily get much better but I think the craziness could certainly make it extremely watchable next year. I wasn't going to jump in at this point, but I'm going to because mine is championship related. Um, I don't even know if I believe it or not, but it's surprising. So I'm, I'm going for it. I haven't checked how often it's happened, but uh, it seems unlikely with parachute payments and, and what have you. So I'm putting it in the surprising category. Um, and I'm saying that none of the relegated teams will be promoted back into the Premier League. Mm. Uh, mm. Probably clear that Burnley are in a spot of bother. I think there's there's a few they, reasons they are to... recruiting well though. They are, they are, it's true. They are, but uh, the, the the paperwork um, that that was dogged the end of the Premier League season for them um, is is a concern. And I I wouldn't be surprised if they finished you know in the playoff places and didn't get promoted or whatever. But I'm having a bit of a punt on them not getting up. Watford. This isn't something I've. This isn't something I've talked. Just jumping on Burnley. This isn't something I've really talked about on our town podcast because it's not really relevant. But 
when we went to Burnley for the FA Cup in in January, I couldn't believe how much that club mm. had changed for the worse. It was it used to be, and this is such a an odd thing to sort of get hung up on, but it used to be sort of the friendliest, nicest mm. club uh, to go to. Always a pleasure to go there. Always look forward to going. And I couldn't yeah. believe how the soul just felt like it had been ripped out of that club. No one, none of the staff knew what they were doing. No one that had been there for years. You know, they'd all they'd all either been mm-hmm. sacked or walked. Um, and, and you could tell it was Jesus. This this the the life and soul has been ripped out of this club by the new owners over the past I, couple of years. It was dreadful. That that's it's not just idle talk. I've been public with this on Twitter in the past. Where it was genuinely one of my one of my two favourite places to go and do games. It was incredibly welcoming, lovely pie and chips, great staff. You'd get shown around. It was superb, and yeah, they they deserve that relegation for becoming a corporate entity instead. But not even, I mean, not even just doing everything on the cheap. It was, you know, it was there was no sort of press office to show you around. It was stewards who didn't know where the press room was and then tried to escort me there. So, yeah, it was, um, it, it was very sad to see. And yeah, but as you say, they are recruiting well. Sorry, Chris. That's all right. Uh, yeah, Watford as well. Um, you'd expect them to be in the habit of bouncing back now, but it wouldn't be. A surprising prediction if it wasn't surprising would it and then you've got Norwich <laughs> Norwich bloody city uh the yo-yo team du jour I I really hope they get up for, for Dino's sake more than anything but I've just got a bad feeling about them this season the, the, they should have they the players feel, already yeah they feel like the wheels could come off there really easily don't they and yeah. and like properly properly yeah. end of a off. cycle kind of thing yeah. the players are there they, they haven't lost that many players outside of sort of when would they lose? But you can't. Well, the, the players that they would worry about losing would be Pookie, Campwell, um, mm, Campwell, Rashisa at this yeah. point as well. There are a few, yeah. Um, but the strategy that they have, um, it could easily, it's one of those that it could easily catch them out one day. It could easily you, be you, the season, and that day I also th- could be the playoff final against triumphant Huddersfield Town. <laughs> I, I also think, though, that from covering Huddersfield Town for years now, and Steve will experience this too, you can't have a season in the Premier League like they've just had without a hangover. That's the thing. So, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, difficult to keep going, isn't it? Yeah. Rock and roll. Uh, Ryan? Um, Chris, do you remember that you were on a... A BBC Radio Five Live show called Booted way back when, yeah, and it was in the build-up to World Cup. Booties, booted, and you made a prediction about the World Cup that coming season, where you thought Switzerland would reach. The, sorry, you you described Switzerland as your dark horses, I think, on national radio. Yeah, I think yeah. it was either that or where I went somewhere else and predicted that Japan would be in the semi-final of the World Cup by twenty eighteen. That was the Tooting and Mitchum program, wasn't it? And that's where you made. That wild prediction. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Chris. That's I love fine. how you've got the receipts for this. This is really quite disturbing. Yeah, I like, I like it. <laughs> on, on, on January 4th, I, I rem- 2012. I remember reading these predictions. Um, I mine, Mine's World Cup based, um, and I was initially going to go quite big on, on the USA, and I think I'm going to scale it back to say I think there will be a new winner of the World Cup, so a, a nation that's not won the World Cup before will win it, which gives me the Netherlands, Belgium, Portugal and the USA because I don't think the USA have quite got it in them but I'm just really excited by their young group of players. I'm really excited by the Netherlands. I think they've got just enough quality in the spine of their team that the others can go and have a bit of fun. And and yeah, there's Graven Birch, who I mentioned, has gone from Ajax to Bayern this summer. Um I think is is pretty interesting as a player. I think Van Dijk making it to a major tournament, having missed out on the Euros, um, will be big for them in terms of of holding that together. Um, so yeah, so I, my my surprising prediction is that our new team will win the World Cup. It could be Belgium finally getting it together with that group of players. It could be Portugal finally getting it together with that guy 
holding them back um or yeah it'll actually be netherlands bringing joy to the footballing world and finally well my surprising prediction um was that there will be a first time winner of the world <laughs> cup this year so that's kind of <laughs> fucked isn't it uh so now i've got to come up with something else on the spot um and i'd already had to come up with that one on the spot because i hadn't thought about it good this uh welcome to the podcast Marsh- Jesse Marsh will turn out not to be completely shite. There you go. No, come on now. <laughs> Let, we're supposed to be at least taking it semi-seriously. Are we? Okay, okay. Jesse Marsh will turn out not to be completely shite. <laughs> and on that note, uh, we'll leave it there for this episode. Uh, we've said it all before, uh, but we will try and do this more often. But for now... You can find us all in various places. My Twitter is SphinxFTBL. Uh, Steve, best place to find you. At Stephen Chicken. Stephen with a V. <laughs> Ryan. Uh, at Ryan Keeney on all good social networks. Keeney with a V. Keeney with a silent PH. <laughs> David with a V. <laughs> got a bit of podcast cock uh at david hartrick <laughs> which is h-a-r-t-r-i-c-k right with that we're out thank you very much for listening we will be back Philippe Albert!